Well, we're so extraordinarily blessed to be in the presence of God this morning, to have His blessings upon us as we come before Him as His children to worship Him. And we're thankful that you can be here, whoever you are, wherever you're from. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you can be here to join in this time together of adoring the God of heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ, who's loved us so very, very much. We've sung some songs about prayer this morning, uh, and we have prayed, and we're going to continue in our lesson this morning, focusing on our theme this year at Eastside, which is to be a house of prayer for the Lord as He intended us to be, to be a people of prayer. A few of us knew, and maybe many did not, however, that this past week there was a cyclone that hit the eastern coast of Africa. It threatened Mozambique and South Africa and Zimbabwe. It killed a number of people in Madagascar before it got to South Africa. However, uh, it sort of lost strength as it hit the coast and did not do all of the damage that they thought that it might. And I consider that to be a blessing from God, and I thank Him for that because there were many prayers that were being offered concerning that. This last week we had a couple of rounds of storms come through North Alabama, and if you're like me, you probably said a prayer or two about those. Uh, ask God to keep people safe and keep us safe and all of that. And that's that's what we do when, when bad things are about to ha- happen or when they are happening, when the storm's approaching or when we're fearing danger of some sort. Uh, the people of God and frankly even people in the world will turn to prayer in time of threat, of disaster, of danger. But if we are to be a praying people, it is right and proper and even necessary that we pray to God for protection. And Jesus Himself said something about that, taught us to do that in the model prayer of Matthew chapter 6. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount He te- teaches disciples how to go about praying. And you might remember in the latter part of that prayer, He says, pray this, do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That last part of that prayer kind of sets up what was just said. We can pray to God to keep us from the evil one because God is all-powerful. We can pray to God to not lead us into temptation. He has the power, wisdom, the dominion to do that, to answer that prayer, and we trust Him. Let me say a couple of things about this passage. It could be translated and is translated actually in some versions a little bit differently than it is. For one thing, the word temptation can be easily and equally translated as trial. Lead us not into trials. Okay? Whether spiritual trials or physical trials. And really, I kind of think Jesus probably has the broader sense of the word there. Not just temptation to sin, but also the trials and tribulations of life. The word that's translated there equally means both or all of those. Second thing is, the word one is not in the text, evil one, and it's added typically by the translators. And so, uh, protect us or deliver us from evil or from the evil one, either one of those equally is a good translation. So I say all of that to get your mind all around that. He's telling us to pray for God to help us as we go through trials and temptations, as we face physical evils in this world like disasters and tragedies, but also as we face the evil one. 
I believe all of that is inculcated in the intention that Jesus has for us in this text. One of the most encouraging, and by encouraging I mean something that gives us courage when we're facing difficulties, trials, temptations, and evil. One of the most encouraging things that we can experience as Christians is to be able to pray for protection from the God of heaven when we're going through those times. And perhaps even more encouraging is to have somebody else pray for us when we're going through those times of trial and temptation and facing the evil or the evil one. When someone prays for you, when someone prays for your protection, you know that you're cared for. And you are encouraged by that, aren't you? Jesus not only taught us to pray for one another, taught us to pray for our own protection, but He also did that Himself. He prayed the protection of His disciples. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of John. We'll be looking at a prayer that Jesus prays the night he's betrayed. This is after he has talked with his disciples long into the night. He's been encouraging them uh, about what they were going to face when he left them. Jesus prays for his disciples this prayer of protection, but it comes at the conclusion of Jesus' upper room discourse. And part of what He said to them during that discourse, in John 16, if you go a chapter back, John 16, verses 1 and 2, here's something that He told them. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that He offers God service. The disciples are going to face extraordinarily difficult temptations and trials and evil in this world as they go out and complete the mission that Christ is giving them. Jesus knows that. He wants them to know that. And so He prays a prayer. In the prayer in John 17, there are three uh, different groups of people that Jesus prays for. First of all, Jesus prays for Himself. Secondly, He prays for His disciples. And that is the core of the prayer. His immediate disciples. That's the biggest part of the prayer. It goes from chapter 17 and verse 6 through verse 19. And then at the end of the prayer, He prays for all disciples of all time, including us. And one of the chief things that He prays for concerning His own disciples there with Him in the room was for their protection from the evil or the evil one. Because Jesus knew, you realize, you realize, Jesus has been talking to them for hours here. He knew He was going away. They were going to have to carry on a great mission facing the world and carrying the Gospel to the world. They were going to have to carry that on without Him in their presence. Satan was going to throw everything at them. That's what He was telling them in John 16, 1 and 2. Satan's going to throw everything at you. And, and in fact, people who kill you are going to be thinking they're doing God a favor by killing you. And so with all of that as a background, Jesus in John 17 and verse 1 
spoke these words, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he prayed. As you read through the Bible, you'll find that there are a lot of different positions that a person can take in prayer. A person can stand praying, a person can kneel praying, a person can bow praying, a person can be prostrate on the ground when they pray, a person can sit and pray, but also a person can lift up their eyes to heaven and pray. Posture in prayer is not regulated. That is to say, you can choose whatever posture in prayer you want. But what our posture does, like body language does all the time, is it says something about our emotional state and what we're thinking, doesn't it? So when I, when I see, uh, you know, a student at school put his head down on the desk and uh, try to go to sleep, I, I know what his, his body language is telling me something, right? <laughs> I know that. Our posture in prayer can say something about what we're praying. And this particular posture in prayer of Jesus is interesting. He lifts up his eyes. He doesn't bow. He lifts up his eyes. And he's going to pray to God. And he's going to pray about the glory of God and his own glory. And he's going to pray about these 11 men who are now in this room with him. He's going to approach God for them. It's such a powerful moment. In this prayer, He will say to the Father, Holy Father, keep them. Verse 11. Verse 12, I protected them. I kept them. And verse 15, protect them or keep them or guard them from the evil one. It's a prayer for protection. The prayer includes these elements. The disciples would not be alone. Jesus had been telling them, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. I'm going to send the Comforter to you. So God's presence will be with you. And here it's clear that they're going to be kept and protected by the Father through His presence being with them. And so as you read through, we come to, uh, starting in, in verse 9, let me just pick up the reading there. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. They're yours. They belong to you. All mine are yours. Yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. See, Jesus was doing that. He was protecting them when He was with them. But now He's praying for the Father to do that when He's God. And for, for the Father to be with them and keep them. There was um, a long time ago like a lot of other indigenous peoples around the world had a special ceremony uh, when a young man became a man which was officially in this tribe at the age of 13. That seems to be common kind of around the world. And this uh, young man would go through a bit of a trial. He'd have to learn to fish and hunt and uh, do several things to demonstrate that he was ready to be a man. But the last, last thing that they put him through was that they blindfolded him and led him far from the village into a dense, dense forest 
took the blindfold off of him in the middle of the night, on a moonless night, and left him there. Couldn't see anything. And told him to spend the night there. It's the first time the young man had been away from his village and the protection of others. They left him no weapon. He's there by himself, in the dark, with creatures moving all around him. He hears a twig snap. He's terrified. (laughs) What's going to happen? He stays there all night, wide awake. In the morning, the sun begins to light the forest, and he sees it's a nice place. What seems so ominous and terrifying through the night. There are beautiful trees. He sees flowers. And he turns to see just a few feet from him a man standing perfectly still who had been there all night. His father. And so it is with us. And that's what Jesus is praying for his disciples. You may not see him, but he's always there. And he's protecting you. And he knows all of the evil that's around and all of the things that could hurt you and what could happen. But he's right there. And it is by the name and the presence of God, then, that we are protected. That's what Jesus is praying for, for his disciples. Secondly, He's praying that they would remain joyful. Back in Psalm 23, the psalmist had said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And if God is with us, not only do we feel protected, but we can feel and be joyful. So notice the words of Jesus as we look at verses 13 and 14. Now I come to you, And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He's asking God to allow the the, the disciples to have His joy completely fulfilled in them. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. So here they are a hated people. But they can have the fullness of joy that belonged to Jesus Himself. This joy is not a joy of the world, obviously. It's despite the world's conditions that they're to have this joy. Only the Father can fill our hearts with such joy. Please don't seek joy in the world. Please don't seek comfort and protection in the world. Please don't seek happiness in the world. The world does not have it to offer. God does. You can live a life facing Great peril and still have joy if you turn to God. If you know that He's with you and you rely on Him. It is this same way for all Christians. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. Paul talk, uh, Peter rather talks about the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire and it may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's exactly what Jesus was praying for. That his disciples would be able 
to rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Even though, as Peter's talking about and as Jesus is talking about, it's going to be tough. There's danger. There's peril. You're going to be hurt. You say, well, how is God protecting me if I get hurt? We'll get to that later. But you can have joy. I don't see Jesus. We don't see Him. But we can rejoice with joy inexpressible even as we go through these trials that Peter's talking about. Goes through the fire, doesn't it? So, the disciples would not be alone. They could remain joyful. And they could be kept from the evil one. Verse 15, back in our text in John 17. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. What we need to understand is that the Lord is not guaranteeing that Satan won't attack you. In fact, He's guaranteeing that Satan will attack you. He's not saying that Satan won't hurt you in some way or other. Satan will probably, almost certainly, hurt you in some way or another. But you will be protected for God's purposes. And you will be kept for eternal glory if you'll just keep the faith and allow allow God to do what He's going to do to keep you where you need to be. The Lord is going to take care of us. Jesus is praying that the disciples would be protected from the attacks when they came. And God has given us the way to do that. We're to put on the whole armor of God, right? Ephesians chapter 6. That we can stand against the evil one in the evil day and having done all to stand. Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And that's what he's praying for the disciples there and for us as well. The fourth thing I want to see, want you to see in, in this prayer that Jesus is praying is that the disciples' sanctification is linked to their protection. God is their special father and they are his children because they are sanctified. Jesus, multiple times in this context, talks about sanctification. Sanctification is this idea of separation from the world and purification from the world. But in John 17 and verse 17, he says in this prayer, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The, the, the disciples would be the containers of the, wor- of the word to take it to the world. They would be the ones who would be the package in which the world, in which the word was taken to the world. That made them special. That set them apart. Sets us apart too. When the Word is in us, God protects us, watches over us, so that His Word can be delivered. But we have to stay separate from the world. So another passage that really hits on this really clearly, I'd like you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk with them. Now wait a minute. 
Remember the story of the Native American? His father was right there, right? God's promise to His people, God's promise to His children, I will dwell with them and I will walk with them. Who are you going to fear when God is walking with you, right? He says, I will be their God and they shall be My people. Therefore, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 6, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. That would be sanctified. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Jesus wants us to know, He wanted these disciples to know that they would not be alone. That they could have joy. That they'd be protected from the worst that the devil could do. And that God would be with them if they remain sanctified. Jesus is... He didn't just pray this in John 17. I believe He's praying this now for every one of us. Don't you? Jesus intercedes for us now. One preacher said one time, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference, for He is praying for me. Hebrews 7 and verse 25, Therefore He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Romans 8 and verse 34. The sermon's only halfway done, but I want to share with you what the invitation song may say. I have a Savior. He's pleading in glory. A dear loving Savior, though earth trends be few. Now He is watching in tenderness o'er me. But oh, that my Savior were your Savior too. The greatest prayer of protection that's ever offered for you and me is the prayer that comes from the lips of Jesus. And the greatest power to protect us that ever could be is the power of God who watches over us every moment. What does God do? Well, God sends angels to protect us. It's not something that we talk about a lot, but I think we might need to. Jesus, on this very night that He was betrayed, just a little while after He prays this prayer in John 17, He winds up, of course, in the garden in Gethsemane. And there He prays in agony, sweats as great drops of blood. Luke 22 and verse 41 He was praying, saying in verse 42, Father, if it's your will, take this cup. Nevertheless, 
Not my will, but yours be done. And the text says that an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. In a way, you could say that Jesus' prayer was a prayer for protection. You might say, well, Jesus, Jesus got killed. I mean, just a few hours after this, he was dying on a cross. How did God answer his prayer? The Hebrew writer said God answered it. How did he answer it? Satan. Satan did his worst to Jesus. But as the Lord had said so long ago, while the serpent would be able to harm the heel of the Savior, the Savior would crush his head. And though Satan's attack was vicious, Christ would not lose. He would not lose. And we won't either if God is with us. But God promises to help us with His power, His might, His holy angels. He's been with His people all along this way. You might remember this great text in 2 Kings chapter 6. The king of Syria had sent to get Elisha. Elisha seemed to know everything that was going on with the Syrians and when they'd attack and all that sort of thing. And the king was getting tired of it. In fact, he was so tired of it, the king of Syria was, that he thought he had a spy in his own court. He said, okay, which one of you is telling the Israelites <laughs> you know, what our plans are? And, and someone said, it's not one of us. They've got a prophet that knows everything that's going on. And so he, he says, okay, where is this guy? Well, he's, he's, he's in Dothan. So, so he sends a regiment, an army, to, to get Elisha in Dothan. <laughs> the servant of Elisha gets up in the morning and sees the town surrounded by the Syrian army. And we pick up the text, 2 Kings 6 and verse 15. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he, that is Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Whatever you're facing in life, whatever the danger is, whatever the power is, that we are concerned about. Be assured of this. If you're a child of God, there are, there's more that's with you than is with that, whatever that is. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. This is really uh, the original eye-opening experience, right? <laughs> because the servant's eyes were opened the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All around Elisha. And I believe even in the present time, if we could have our eyes open like that, when we're in danger, when we have concerns about our protection, whether it's spiritual, emotional, physical. If our eyes could be open like that, we would see a similar host around us. 
You say, well, what makes you think that? Preacher, what makes you think that, that God gives us that kind of protection? Well, because He says so. <laughs> I want you to go in your Bibles. We're going to look uh, for the uh, next few minutes in Psalm 91. It's a great psalm. It has much to say to our point this morning. God sends His angels, though they may be invisible, to those who trust Him. Psalm 91, starting in verse 1, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. If you have a fellowship, a relationship with God, you are under His shadow. The shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A lot of things in this world we can be afraid of. Some of this is symbolic, metaphoric language. We need to understand that. But what the psalmist is saying is, whatever it is, God is my strength. I'm under the shadow of His wings. He's protecting me. The worst disease, the greatest pestilence, the armies that come, the arrow that flies, whatever it is, I'm under the shadow of His wings. That's the promise that is made. Psalm 17 and verse 8. Keep a finger in Psalm 91, but if you want to look at Psalm 17 and verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36 and verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57 and verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until the calamities have passed by. You get this metaphor four times in the Psalms. Under the shadow of his wings. The idea of the mother bird, you know, and the the thunderstorm is coming or the hawk is flying or whatever the problem is and they run under the shadow of the wings of the mother bird. God is overshadowing us like that at all times. Now let's go back to Psalm 91. Let's pick up the reading in verse 9. Psalm 91. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. I realize that that is a dual prophecy. It's applied to Jesus Christ in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. But he's talking to those who trust God. Those who go to Him for protection and care. And He says plainly that God gives His angels charge concerning us. 
It's interesting using the metaphor that he's already used of the wings, you know, (laughs) under the shadow of his wings. And then the text says, he's giving his angels charge concerning you. And then the Bible says on a couple of occasions, angels have wings. How about that? Psalm 34. Psalm 34 and verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He heard me. He delivered me from all my, all my fears. See, that's really the thing, isn't it, isn't it? The thing we need protection most from all of these things that we fear is fear itself. Right? There's nothing to fear but fear itself. And when the fear is taken away, then we can go on with courage. I sought the Lord. He heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant. Again, you have the joy. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts Him. All of it gets back to trusting God. How many troubles have you had in your life? Well, the older you are, the more of them you could count, I'm sure. I can count a few. How many of them has God delivered you out of? All of them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. Who trust Him. The writer says in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, about angels, that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. God protects those who trust Him like a bird protects her chicks. Angels are charged with guarding us in all our ways. All our ways, the text says. The angel of the Lord encamps around us. So that leads us to, in these final few moments, Understanding how we're protected from the evil one. And to understand this really, you need to take the same view that God has, which is hard for us to do. But it's an eternal view. None of us are going to get out of this world alive physically. There's going to be pain and sorrow Tragedy and death. We're going to falter and fall and get up again and hurt again. It's the nature of life. But the ultimate protection that comes from God, our solace and our joy, is of an eternal nature. God will protect us from unbearable temptation. There, there, is, there is no temptation that you will ever face 
that you can't overcome with the help of God. He provides, he promises a way of escape. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with temptation also make a way of escape that you can bear it. Take that shield of faith and you'll you'll be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the evil one. Ephesians 6 and verse 16. Secondly, anything that can separate separate us from the love of Christ, we're protected from it. There, There is nothing. There is no power. There is no calamity. There is no thing that you fear. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. You are protected from that. Romans 8 and verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? He says... For your sake, we're killed all the day long. God understands that Christians suffer persecution. The tens and thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of martyrs that have existed on this planet since the day that Stephen was stoned in Acts 7. God knows all about that. Those who have died unjustly, those who have died in innocence, God knows all about that. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, but more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We're protected from anything that would separate us from the love of Christ and ultimately from eternal death. Look back again with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept, kept, that means guarded, protected, you are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed the last time. When you pray for protection. Now I firmly believe God might help the storm to pass over. I know He does. I know, as we're going to talk about this afternoon, Lord willing, in another lesson, God is the one that brings healing. If you've ever been healed from anything, you might thank your doctor, but thank God first. I know that God answers prayer in real time and takes away real problems. But I also know that we still experience real problems. And some things aren't taken away. But even when that happens, I am always in God's hand. And that's protection enough. Because He will keep me eternally. Our last scripture this morning from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. 
I take to note with you this morning that the Apostle Paul was undoubtedly martyred by the Romans at the end of his life. He suffered and suffered and suffered. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. And yet, and yet, he says, pray that we'll be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Well, it wasn't too long after this that he, when he wrote, right after he wrote that, that he wasn't delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. But God kept him. God guarded him. He will establish and guard you from the evil one. I have a Savior. He's praying in glory. He's praying for you and for me. He's interceding for us constantly. This morning, if we take anything away from this lesson, just, just take away this, that God is so powerful. He loves you so much. Just trust Him. Trust Him with your now. Trust Him with your tomorrow. Trust Him with your eternity. Just trust Him. And if this morning you're ready to trust Him, to give Him your life, let Him have your life. Just let Him have it. And He'll take care of you. Forever. Please come while we stand and sing.